0: Hey everybody, welcome to not just another episode of the Anything But Typical podcast, but an anything but typical and extraordinary episode of the Anything But Typical podcast, because you are going to hear the amazing story of Manny Ahome and what a journey. And I only know a thimble full of it, and what I know is just amazing. So I can't wait to dive into this and for you to hear him And his heartbeat and the impact that he's had really literally around the world. So Manny, as we start with the Anything But Typical podcast, the heartbeat question is this, you and Tracy are probably going to be going through an airport because you're (laughs) headed to some place probably to wash somebody's feet and do some of the amazing things that you do. Somebody sees you in the airport and they go, hey, they start talking about you and they don't realize that you can overhear and understand everything that they're saying about you. What would you want somebody to say about you?
1: Uh, Gary, I would love to say, man, that is Manny and Tracy uh, who follows Christ's example to wash the feet of the poor. And and man, those guys are so selfless. They live their life." For others, completely sold out, uh, using their, their resources, their relationships, and their uh, the gifts that have been given as a platform to help bring transformation to our world. That's what I love them to say. But more importantly, I also love them to say, "Man, that's a guy I love his bride. He's a good-looking man." You know, like, <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: right on, man. <laughs> Manny, your smile—I wish everybody could see your smile right now because you light up our room.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I think it's 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 so important. I mean, as a guy, I love his bride. I love his kids. He loves his world and loves his neighbor.
2: Yeah, it's great. So, for those that have not had the pleasure yet, Manny's the founder, president, CEO of Samaritan's Feet International, chairman at Sanford Health. And uh, we're also going to get into World Shoe as well. So, Manny, I want to just let you take a second and give the listeners a peek into what does Samaritans Feet do.
1: Uh, Thanks, Ben. I think Samaritans Feet, for those that don't know us, we are a global nonprofit headquartered right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Our vision is to actually help inspire hope among some of the world's most impoverished and hope for us is a four letter acronym right hope for us uh, when you think about the definition of hope it's to help advance health outcomes you know people don't realize that over 1.5 billion people in the world are infected with foodborne diseases many of them neglected tropical diseases many diseases of the poor so so part of our mission as part of our age is to help advance health outcomes we want to help create opportunities uh, through the o uh, opportunities for us by advancing and accelerating the opportunity for people to have jobs Opportunity for people to be able to have access to education, opportunity for people to, be able to have access to shoes. And, and part of our goal is that no child or no homeless, no senior, uh, we have a missed their window. And when I say that, we don't want a child missing the day of play or day of school. We don't want a senior to fall. So the opportunity to, to go pursue whatever potential they're still in their life or a worker, a farmer in Africa or somewhere in the developing world, uh, for them to lose the opportunity to be able to work because they don't have footwear. And, and but most importantly, the opportunity to live purposefully to serve. You know, the P for us is to help advance uh, peaceful outcomes, bringing unity and reconciliation to our world. And, and most importantly, the E, which is to help improve access to education. Uh, how do we teach people to learn about the plight of their neighbors all around the world? How do we teach people that they can be an answer to somebody else's prayer? How do we teach people to use the platform, the gifts and the talent they've been given to help us make a difference and help me this world a better place? So, so we provide shoes, shoes to the impoverished. Our vision is to help put shoes the feet of 10 million. I will serve about 9.3 million now in over 109 countries, about 45 U.S. states and about you know 560 U.S. cities and communities. Uh, and our goal by the end of uh, this year is to serve a 10 million person uh, sometime right around October.
2: That's amazing. Oh, I love it. So you talked about inspiring hope, providing access to education, opportunities, things like that. Lots of ways to be able to go around about that, right? We see nonprofits all over the world focusing exclusively on education or creating jobs. Why choose? Talk to us about your why in, in that area.
1: I mean, you know, sh- shoes to us, uh, you know, to, to many people around the world, uh, it's actually a necessity to help keep them alive. Uh, to us in this country, a pair of shoes is a fashion accessory, uh, right? But to, to the millions of people, that has to work. Uh, uh, if you're a farmer that live in a place like Ethiopia, uh, where you farm in silica, uh, silica that attacks the feet of the sole of your feet because you don't have shoes and eats away at your nerve and your feet blows up to be sometime two, three, For the natural size. And then you Mm -hmm. look like you got leprosy and you look like you got elephantiasis. There's actually a scientific name for that condition. Is called podoconeosis. It's a non filarial type of elephantiasis. It affects over 5 million people in Ethiopia alone, over a million of them children. And not just in Ethiopia, from Colombia to Nigeria to, Col- uh, to places like India and different parts of Latin American countries and Asia, they have this condition. And, and, and that's, that's a pair of shoes that we use as a fashion accessory here Without that, that can keep people from actually having their job and their children can't go to school. Uh, in, in the United States, one of the top three needs for kids to go to school is a pair of shoes. You can't just go to school and pair pair bare feet in the United States. They'll send you back home. So, so I've heard stories of brothers and they're sharing shoes. One of them in, in Appalachia wearing shoes one day and then the other one stays home. The next day, the other one wears a pair of shoes. That's not in Haiti and that's not in Kenya. That's in the United States of America. You know, a pair of shoes provide access to education. And you've seen conditions sometimes because of choices that sometimes that some parents make, or maybe some of those children didn't have the opportunity. There are parents at home where grandparents are are raising them that their grandparents got to make decisions every day. Do I buy food? Do I buy medicine or do I buy shoes? And some of this cases, some of those boys, all they have at home, a me down that their grandma's brought from maybe the goodwill or something where you see these kids going to school, boys going to school wearing girls shoes. Guess what happened to them? They get bullied. They get picked up. Wow. They get beat up. And that's not, I'm not talking about Eastern Europe. I'm talking about the United States of America. That's why she's important to us. But for me, well, after I went back to Africa in 1997, and I learned that over 300 million children in Africa wake up each day with no shoes on their feet, and then I learned that over a billion in the world were infected with diseases, many of them that could be prevented by through the gift of shoes, I, I said, somebody ought to do something about that. At that time, I didn't realize that somebody was going to be me. You know, that's what led to Samaritan's Feet that had a vision to put shoes on the feet of 10 million now we are the trying to serve that 10 million. So, so shoes to us is more than just a, a something that kids have to use to go to school, but we've actually used it as a platform that allows our volunteers to serve them because we live before we give them the shoes. Every volunteer has to watch the feet of the recipient and we look them in the eye and we ask them their name and I ask them their dream. And in many of those cases, we tell them, we know the one that provided the opportunity for them to have that pair of shoes. And we know the one that created them actually instilling them a vision for their future. And for me, I tell them what that my best friend is. It's the son of this Jewish carpenter whose name is Jesus the Christ. Uh, that's why I like to do what I do. That's what gets me fired up and why I wanna be able to get every single friend I have around the world to really experience
2: what I've experienced. So you, I wanna, I don't wanna jump ahead because you really teed us up to be able to go into the, how you created it, right? You had this experience of saying somebody needs to, to do this. And then years later realize that somebody was gonna be you. So I don't want to jump ahead there yet because your story of, of your uh, your childhood is still so interesting. So take us back to to your childhood because I think part of this also was that you didn't have your first pair of shoes until you were about nine years old or something like that as well, right?
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's correct. You know, it's so crazy. You look at me today, you probably said, there's not a chance this brother's missed a meal in his entire life. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> but uh, but but I used to wake up every single morning, Dan, and pray this simple prayer. I used to say, God, give me zero zero I one. That means it's okay if I don't have breakfast. It's okay if I don't have lunch, but God give me supper so I can make up to the next day. You know, at the age of nine, my job is to be able to help my mom contribute to a little bit of the, the financial resource, the bottom line of the economics and the finances of my home, of my household. So my job, if you ever were to discover channel see those kids that used to carry baskets in their heads to go sell things to the market, that used to be me. I used to be a kid that used to go sell water and soft drinks at the park close by the place where I used to live, where athletes just come play sports. When I showed up there one day to go sell soft drinks and water, I didn't realize that day I was about to have a day with destiny. There was this group of missionaries that came from the United States to come teach African children how to play sports. You know, in my neighborhood, I always joke around that everything that's round and bounce, we kick them. Uh, but this one, they actually dribble. This one's this little orange round ball. They were driven this stuff, and this kids were having a bunch of fun. And, and I showed up there that day, and I you know, put my basket down, and, and these guys were, we're teaching these kids how to dribble the ball, pass the ball, and shoot the ball. They were having so much fun, and, and I want to join them like any other child would want to be, but because I was a street merchant, this shoot me a way to put me aside. And, and, and this is one of the lessons I would tell everybody in life. See, there is never going to be a shortage of people in your life that's going to want to put a stop to what the potential of what you can step into. But you've got to realize the time where you're living in. For me that day, I didn't realize what I was doing was so crazy. Uh, you know, when they told me, no, I could have stood right there, and just became one of the spectators. But how providence will have one of the balls came around by where I was standing, and I grabbed that ball and I quickly snuck in and joined those people. I started playing. I didn't want them to take take away the privilege for I, for me to be able to have all the fun that these people were having. Well, that day I didn't realize this was going to change my life. I mean, this guy all of a sudden said we're going to have a shooting competition, and he said the price of the winner is going to be a new pair of tennis shoes. That place went nuts, right? You know, when you live in a neighborhood where people live on less than a dollar a day, a pair of tennis is like a Mercedes-Benz. And he like, said, who wants to play? And All of us were screaming, pick me, pick me, pick me. The guy that wasn't supposed to be there was one of the ones that got picked that day. And this first shot I shot went in. It's so crazy. I truly believe. Angels was working on my behalf, man. I got it I ball all the way to the net. I ended up winning the competition, becoming not just the first person in my family, but my first person in my entire community going a pair of tennis shoes. Radically changed my life. It was so crazy. So I, I after I wanted this missionary called me to the front and he and 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 presented me this brand new pair of shoes. And, and Gary said, my smile is pretty big. And that's actually where my smile started. I haven't stopped smiling ever since that day. It's so crazy. You know, after he gave me that shoe and he looked at me and he said, son, just because all you see around you is poverty. He said, he said, don't ever forget that big. God of the universe has a plan for you. He said, keep dreaming and keep dreaming, big." He could have told me that day the sky was green. I would have believed him. And after I finished speaking, I threw off. You know, Ben, is crazy. I ran so fast, I forgot my basket of soft drinks until I showed up at my house and Mama looked at me and said, son, where's my water? I said, Mama, check out my shoes. And and she was so happy for me. And a few minutes later, she said, you better go bring my suffering bag of hell tonight. You better to meet Jesus. And I ran all the way from my house <laughs> to make sure that basket was still there. And, and it was so cool, it was still there. And then from that day on, basketball became my escape because my home life was somewhat very tumultuous. What, because when you live or know anyone that lives with somebody that has addictive personality. Uh, the ones that are closest to them are the ones that they hurt the most. My father struggled with alcohol and struggled with a number of other things. And uh, every time we'll get drunk, and guess who we took it out on? It was yours truly. And and all you heard from him was that this, you know, when it gets just in this zone and and you and beat you up and, and, and call your names and say you'll never amount to this and and just deposit all the things that a father should never say to his son. And but it's so crazy. I always, you know, I always so get excited every time I share this aspect of my story because my mom was always that positive influence in my life. And every time my father would say this mean and evil and vile thing, she's come behind him and put her hands on my head. And she always said, the name that's above every other name, whatever mean and evil things that this man would ever say to my son will never come to pass. Because my God has promised me that my son can do all things through him who gives him strength. And, and then sometimes after she'll say this stuff, I'll go to my mom and say, Mom, then, then why would we have to live so poor? You know, why do we have to live? Doesn't God answer our prayers? Then why do we have to subject ourselves to conditions like this? And my mom was a, such a wise woman. And she would take me by this little window by my house. And she said, son, I want you to look outside and tell me what you see. And I look outside and I will ramble. I said, "Mama, I see a tree. She said, no, son, I want you to look higher. Said, tell me what you see. And I said, "Mama, I see birds flying. She said, son, son, I want you to look much higher and tell me what you see. And I said, mom, I see the clouds. And she would say, everyone that wonder why God created the sky so hot. And I said, I don't know, mama. And she would say, so poor boys like you can dream. real high." He said, never make an excuse for life. He said, just because today may be a crappy day doesn't mean tomorrow I'm going to be a great day. As long as my God is on the throne, son, you can do all things. And she always say all that stuff. So I started playing basketball. I started getting better at this. And then one day I went to my coach after my junior year before I went my senior year in high school. I said, coach, I truly believe one day I want to go play basketball in America. And just like you were looking at me right now, Benny looked at me, he said, son, he said, you're not big enough, you know, fast enough, you're not good enough. He's, you know, he's one of the most encouraging coaches I've ever met, you know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> uh, and I said, coach, I said, uh, he said, what makes you think you can get a scholarship in America? I said, I don't know, coach, but I'm willing to try because you got to realize that it's time. Hakeem Olajuwon's made basketball so popular in Nigeria. Yep. Everybody who was a Nigerian wanted an opportunity to book play basketball. And I was about 6'4. I was a skinny 6'4 guy. But in my world, 6'4 was a tiny little midget compared to many of those Nigerian guys that I knew. So the chance for me ever getting here was nil. So but the coach said something to me that I did that I never forgot. He said, He said, you know, you have some courage. He said, the fact that you came to me speaks value. Because, because I just don't think that you ever get a scholarship but I'm willing to help you. He said, I'll give you some names of schools, but I doubt if anybody's never going to respond to you. I doubt it. He continuing to encourage me. And, but he said, if anyone responds to you, I'll write you a letter of reference. I said, that's all I need. I just need a shot. I just need an opportunity. Well, I wrote letters uh, to schools in America. I ended up getting five scholarship offers. And the coach actually eventually never wrote that, that, that letter of reference to me because I never needed it. But, yeah. but the, here, I, 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 I now live with this predicament, Gary. I didn't know what America was. I heard about New York. I, I heard about Los Angeles. I heard about Houston, Texas. I said, Well, I'll do whatever Nigerian kid do. I'll pick the school with the best looking brochure. See, I didn't know much about this country. Guess what school I picked? I picked the University of North Dakota in Lake Region. You know, I know <laughs> you don't know where North Dakota is. You know, that's the coolest place <laughs> to be. In world. I still remember, Ben, I showed up in North Dakota. I said, I've done something wrong to God because African people are not living." It. it was crazy. But that became <laughs> one of the best decisions of my life. Uh, that led me to going to school there for two years, transferring to school in Minnesota, Concordia College, and then went in, going on to North Dakota State for my master's and, and eventually actually accepting the position in Charlotte, North Carolina for a software company. And uh, through that process, my father got really sick. Uh, I always tell people that in life, God always allow us to make our choices, but seldom will He ever allow you to pick your consequences. So be careful what choices you make. So, my father's choice uh, to abuse alcohol and all those things eventually caught up with him, and he was diagnosed with source of the liver. And eventually, my father uh, ended up facing the reality of dying. And uh, but but the blessings I would tell people because I always like to share this aspect of his story. Two weeks before my father passed away, I uh, came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior, and I had to go back to Africa to go bury my dad, and, and that's when. I realized I forgot how poor uh, that our situation was, was because when I got home, it was so crazy. I couldn't even use the bathroom in my own house. I had, I had to go across the street to the park by where I used to go sell water. And coming out of that bathroom and looking at all these kids playing at this park with no shoes, with no hope, uh, that's when the idea came to me. Uh, what if I can start coming to help children like this and also inspire them and remind them that they can also dream big dreams. And um, came back to America. Uh, took me about five years. and. And um, you know, my wife and I decided to leave, made the technology space, her the corporate travel place to go start this organization called Samaritan's feet with a vision to go put shoes the feet of 10 million people all across the world. And we said, we're just not gonna give them shoes, but we're gonna actually do something that actually is gonna leave an indelible mark on their mind that they'll never forget that interaction, that we're gonna wash their feet. And if they have wounds, we're gonna abandon their wounds and we're gonna deposit words of hope and inspiration in their life, that they can also go do that and pay that love forward.
2: Something I'm curious about there. I mean, I'm curious about a hundred things that you just said, but um, one is you, you said you two waited five years and then started this. It I'm sure would have been very easy to just jump straight into it, right? You go back to Africa, you see this, you probably immediately want to jump in head first. What happened at that four to five year mark where you two were able to say, this is the time in our lives to do this?
1: I tell you, there was a series of things that happened. You know, you come back with all the adrenaline, you you want to go jump in and go do something. You, but then you realize life hits, right? You've got responsibilities. Uh, you know, um, you know, I have four children. I just had my fourth child at that time, and and uh, you know, like I have responsibility in Africa. I was the oldest son, my father just passed away, which means I took on the responsibility, the financial responsibility burden of my family. You know, that means. Any, any lady that gets married is mine, anybody dies, that's you. Any kind of major financial obligation is you. So, you know, so all this, all this things is piling up, you're thinking about that. And, and then you start to re- realize that, geez, you know, God, <laughs> I've left Africa, man. That, that stuff is for the, that's for the dogs. Let somebody else do that. I'll support them, you know, but, but, but man, I, uh, I don't want to be poor anymore I know these people that does this kind of work but they live poor and I don't want to be a poor guy you know because I'm just telling them real that's the, the feeling that was going through I said man I don't know so I was struggling with the reality of saying yes um you know after I uh, I came back from um, from Nigeria our company got acquired and um, I was working for a supply chain software company in Charlotte at that time So a company got acquired and after that company got acquired, um, you know, like I uh, went on, uh, went ahead and joined a buddy of mine that was actually uh, started a software company in, in New York. Uh, that was, uh, you know, you know, that's that was pre the Internet boom. And and, and we were de- de- designing and delivering, you know, this landed cost engine that all these online merchants can use to be able to deliver their products. You know, people like Amazon and all those kind of uh, fun corporations like that. You know, and, um, you know, my wife and I thought we were going to move to New York. And after I went to New York a few times, my bride said, ah, I am moving to New York. I said, oh, man, this is this is ain't going to work. I already told them I'm coming. So so I started commuting between Charlotte and New York every single week, which was about a couple of years. And and after doing that for about a couple of years, that was not a healthy place to be to raise a family of four. And, and one of my buddies, actually, I, I actually in Charlotte here that was uh, working for uh, one of our mutual friend of ours, a guy by the name of Todd Bulo. Called me and said Todd used to work for me at that time. He said, "Manny, you know this guy, you know wants to start this software company, and 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 I think you need to come by and help him run this his product group and his business development marketing group." And so, it turned out to be a real good opportunity. I came back to Charlotte, joined this team, and we were part of this company's called Elogix and, and and went through this, you know. VC funding round and all this stuff was going so well. And after we closed, I think this, the second round of this funding and the the VCs out of New York looked at all of us, we were all these young kids, right? They said, you guys need some adult supervision, you know, you know, so uh, the brothers gray hair guys come in to kind of provide some direction for all of us so we don't blow through the millions of dollars, you know, but, but through this process, there was a gentleman that came into our company. Uh, you know, that, that became my new uh, mentor and supervisor, uh, EVP, we call them, you know, to kind of help provide some direction for all these young cats. Um, so we were looking at, at kind of like broadening our product suite, a uh, product portfolio. So we were looking at uh, procuring one of these order management software companies. So there was a company out of Dallas, Texas, uh, that we were looking at the potential to actually bring in as part of our entire product suites. So Ian and I actually flew down to Dallas uh, to actually go do due diligence in this company. And, and uh, you know, we had a meeting the next day. So we flew in that night. The night that night we said, what are we going to do? we in here. Let's just go grab dinner. So I said, hey, you know, Vince Carter's coming in from New Jersey, coming to play the Dallas Mavericks. Let's go get a ticket. Let's go watch our guys play and have some fun. So we did. We went and picked up some tickets, went down to the Dallas, you know, like at Ma- in Maverick, the Coliseum. We went and watched some games. After we sat down, bam. This guy that I didn't even know much about, we just met not too long ago. And he asked me a very crazy question. And he said, Manny, if money wasn't an issue in your life today, how would you change the world? And I said, Man, I've been set up. What kind of questions is this guy asking me? So, I started sharing this vision that I had know I, I came back from Nigeria. I want to be able to start this organization to provide shoes for kids and wash their feet. I started sharing this statistic about 300 million kids woke up in Africa. And the more I shared, the more passionate I became. And, and this guy stopped me. He said, Manny, why are you here? And when your boss asks you a question while you're here, you quickly find a way to change the subject. You know what I'm saying? You know, so, so I'm trying to figure out why it's changed this conversation. All of a sudden, the buzzer hits, and the game started. I said, thank you, God. I don't have to talk to this guy about his stuff anymore. I didn't realize that guy filed that conversation that day. Well, fast forward. Uh, my wife and a group of ladies actually went to this conference in Greensboro, North Carolina. And we haven't told the soul about what we're trying to do, except for a couple of people that we've been kind of talking to. And uh so she went with this group of ladies, they got to Greensboro. She came out, came out of that. That was when you know Gary went when when our wife used to like to drive those vanes, and, and she came out of that van. You know, now I can't get up to drive a van. She said, Man, you know, like so crazy. But but she, she came out of the van. This lady that she knows said, you know, Tracy, can I can I talk to you about something? He said, Yes. And she said to my bride, she said, Tracy, you know, God has called you and your husband to a big vision, but you keep putting God in the box. And she started sharing things with Tracy. We've never told a soul. And then in a few minutes later, she grabbed a bottle of Deer Park water and she said, Tracy, is it okay if I wash your feet? Because God has called you guys to go wash the feet. Now, the same reaction you just got there, Gary, that was a reaction my wife got. She lost it. She said, What in the world is this? And my bride is weeping. And and she told my wife that she saw this convoy of trucks and all these things. And and my wife went to that conference over the next couple of days. She couldn't wait to see me. And she got home and once she walked in the door. And if you're married, Ben, I'm not sure if you're married, but, but if you know you've done something to your bride when you walk into a house, your wife look at you with that kind of look, you know, you, you know you've done something wrong. You know what I'm saying? She looked at me in the eye, I said, Uh-oh,
0: what did I do? And she said, We all know that look. <laughs> <laughs>
1: she said. Honey, we've been disobedient. She started sharing what she shared, what she got later shared with her. I mean, I said, who in the world is this person? So, so I've got it I'm, now, I'm a, I'm a strategic thing. I'm trying to think, how do I get my, my my, wife's mind off on this train, man, because I know where this is going. It's not where I want to go. So I said, I knew, I knew what my wife's kryptonite was. I said, man, I take my wife to Charleston. She's going to forget all about this. So I said, baby, you know what we should do? In a few weeks, we should go down to Charleston, South Carolina. I should take you down there, just go celebrate and all that kind of stuff. She said, "Oh yeah, that'll be great." And so, a few days later on, I took my wife down to Charleston, South Carolina. At that time, this was before Charleston got all crazy developed. You know, you we know, we're staying at the at this at this hotel over there across the bridge, and and. And right before we went, I crossed by, you know, where that uh, California-driven restaurant was. I was one of the few restaurants there in those days. And, and my wife asked me, she said, honey, what's it going to take for you to leave your job? I said, woman, well, I said, I thought i will bring you here. We're going to have a phenomenal time, man. not talk about this, this calling stuff again. And she started to say, honey, I'm serious. What's it going to take you to leave your job? So then all I was thinking about is what can I say to my wife to keep her to be quiet and to not talk to me about this stuff? Mm-hmm. So, so I said, you know, honey, you know, you know, we've got some savings and, 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 you know, like um, if I can have another six months of income, you know, I know we should be able to at least stretch that out for about a couple of years. If I can have about at least enough income to last us for a couple of years, you know, God is pretty busy. He's got about six, some point some At that time, with about six point some billion people in the world. And if he forgets about me, I need to be able to, be able to massage and kind of get to the next couple of years. Gary, I wish I said something else that day. That was a Saturday. Monday, I went to the office, did my calls with our partners, did our calls with some of our sales guys, and I was going to go to lunch. I put my head into the doorway. of Jay's office was. I said, Jay, do you want to grab a bike? He said, no, 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 Manny, come in. And Jay shuts the door on me. Jay never shuts the door when he talks to me. And he said, Manny, uh, you know, I knew president of the VC actually just brought, actually was going to have this conversation with you. Uh, but I just feel like you and I connected when we're down in Dallas. And he said, Manny, what if I can help you start an organization that you were talking to me about in Dallas? What are you thinking about? I said, what the heck are you talking about, Jay? I don't, I don't have any organization. I said, I'm going to part to the chase. The president's got a guy that needs your job. I know you can move into services. But after I heard the passion in your voice, man, I know you need to go do this stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck? It's like I'm in a trance. What the heck is happening? And he said, I'm going to cut to the chase. I can give you this exact amount of money to go help get started. It was the six months that I told my wife. But wow. So, now I wow. I lost it. I said, what the heck is going on? Now, I'm not, I'm not being spiritual. Now, man, I've never been fired. That's like being fired on a <laughs> man. And I said, what's, what's going on here, man? This is not happening. And he said, man, cool guy. I said, no, no, no. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I mean, this is not supposed to happen. And I just, I stomped out of this office. I was so mad. I couldn't even go to my office. I just, I stomped out of that door and I was upset. I called that day my Black Monday. I didn't realize that was going to be the best day of my life. I picked up the, my cell phone and called my bride. I said, I think God answered this prayer a little too quick. And she said, what do you mean answer answered this prayer a little too quick? I said, I think, I, I think I just lost my job. And now she's just, What do you mean you think you lost your job? And I said, I think I lost my job. And she could hear on the phone that I started to cry. She said, honey, come home. I know. She said, I know you're scared. Uh, but to him, God calls. He always equips. And I went on that day, Gary, and I cried like a baby. And that became the, the defining moment that caused me to say yes. And, and it's crazy how things will happen. It wasn't, I called I Jay back. I said, I'm going to take him on that opportunity. I'm going to do it. And it wasn't even two, three days. I started getting calls from headhunters. And uh, I don't even know how to, I don't know how to find out that you're looking for a job. And um, and my wife looked at me, stone cold. And she said, honey, if you entertain any of those opportunities, you'll be completely disobedient to God. He says, "You, God is giving you exactly what you asked for. Now it's your time to say yes. I said, man, this lady don't play. And uh, <laughs> so that became the foundation Um, You know, uh, a couple of days later, we decided to go incorporate and start Samaritan's legacy of the vine. Actually, then eventually uh, Samaritan's feet with a vision to go put you to the feet of 10 million people all across the world.
0: Manny, what year was that? Uh, That was 2003. Wow.
1: (laughs) You know, so this this May, we'll celebrate our 20th anniversary. This October, we'll celebrate serving our 10th million recipients. It's amazing to think about over two hundred thousand volunteers later, and um, and the possibility of um, you know going beyond just the ten million now, creating a shoe manufacturing facility that can help us impact and create jobs and change the world.
0: We want to go into the world shoe, and one of the things that I think about. So this was in two thousand eleven. My son Zach was a shoe designer at Reebok at their world headquarters in canton massachusetts and the first time that i ever went on that campus and i went there a number of times but i saw this big box and they have all kinds of shoe samples and stuff and he was a shoe designer so you know he it was in his area said samaritan's feet i'm like What? (laughs) (laughs) And we were still not back in Charlotte, North Carolina yet. We were still up in Cleveland, Ohio. Wow. I still didn't know you, but I also knew Vic Sorrentino, who was with you early on with Samaritan's Feet. So that's how I knew about Samaritan's Feet. Wow. And like this, this was a humongous box, like (laughs) a couple humongous boxes filled. And little did I know, and, you know, we, we did a service project this summer at your new headquarters. Wow, what an amazing facility. And we were, you know, putting shoes in boxes. You know, it's just amazing the work that you're doing there. Um, and, and your story is just, like, mind-boggling. I just keep thinking, wow. And yet the struggle, even though you had the vision, the The internal struggle because I think comfort is a huge struggle for us. We don't want to get even as big as our our visions can be. Comfort can be a constraint. Uh, so anyway, I just I just had to say. And the other thing that I have to say to the listeners out there, Charlotte is a few million people, a couple million, I guess. MSA, maybe bigger. I don't know. Um, but it's a it's a big small town. And when you said Todd Bulow, I'm like, well, he's also been on the uh, Anything But Typical (laughs) podcast. And so has his wife. He said, no, I'm not going to be on there. You first have to interview my wife because she has a much better story. And Michelle, if anybody's listening, go back to those two episodes with Michelle Bulow as well as Todd. Amazing, but again, just kind of the interconnectivity of the entrepreneurial community here in Charlotte, which is really cool. So, well, you know, you know one of the things that's crazy, out.
1: Gary, is you know, remember when I told you about that lady that told my wife that she saw convoy of trucks? Even before we even get into talking about the world shoe, fast forward. Um, you know, people just they see Samaritan's feet now. You know, you you're on this sixteen acre campus, uh, this massive place that. I that like you can run about a million shoes through, and 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 thousands of volunteers, but they don't realize this stuff started at our garage on the other side of Balentine, right? People don't realize that. And 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 the crazy thing that's happened is, you know, that convoy of trucks actually has become a reality, right? Because you know, in two thousand and seven, after I realized I had this audacious go to put shoes on ten million people, at that time we've served about two or three hundred thousand people. I said, how in the heck are we going to get to 10 million, man? That's a big number. And I said, well, I know what we need to do. If if marketing works to get an African boy from Nigeria to South Dakota, North Dakota, I better go hire a good marketing guy to help me. So I went and hired his marketing guy, right? And and then he helped me kind of devise a strategy. He said, how do we become a national household brand? How do we become an international brand? How do we become recognized? And 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 we can't take credit for this. I truly believe, uh, you know, providence and 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 just a, a power that's bigger than us has something to do with this. Because out of the blue, there's a very famous painter that passed away years ago called uh, Thomas Kincaid. He's known as the painter of lights, right? He was he was uh, he he was trying to I think do something with NBC Universal to go paint the Rockefeller Tree Lighting, right? And, but they said they can't put him up because it's a for profit venture, he has to have a charitable cost tied to it. Somehow, my marketing guy got connected to his marketing guy, and they said, Hey, we should be their marketing uh, their charitable partner. So they called me up and they said, Manny, I think I got a way to take you national. I said, What is that? I said Thomas King Kid wants to have you on national TV to blah blah. I said, Man, sign me up. I said, when is that? He told me when it is. So where is this going to be in New York? What are we doing? He said, he's going to be painting outside. I said, oh, sure. It's going to be cold. I said, well, just give me some coffee. I'll keep myself warm. The day came. We were in New York City. Thomas was painting this stuff, right? Everything was going so smooth in the middle of this crazy. Night, we got a call from one of the executives at, uh, at the studio at NBC. Say, said, we're sorry. We can't have you guys on today. Uh, something is broke and we got a ship. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Everything we've done... Is built around that being our national launch. I'm like, what's happening? So we freaking out. Everybody's picking up their phones, trying to call different networks. All of a sudden, someone from Fox News called us back, said, if you guys can get here in the next few minutes, we can have Thomas on. We picked up all those easels, picked up all those art. We got in the Chevy Tahoe. Ben here we went. Got to like the uh, studio at Fox. We set up. Thomas got... Dulled up with all the makeup. He's up there, started talking and talking and talking. He talked so much, he got caught up in the moment and he forgot about us. And I'm like, what wow. just happened? What just, this is a national launch. What just happened? And I'm looking at Thomas, I'm looking at my head of marketing. I said, what, what just happened? And, and Thomas came off the stage and he said, Manny, I'm so sorry I, I got caught up in a moment. I'll make it up to you. You know, you end up passing away, you know, but but it's so crazy that didn't happen. But I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to be in New York with Thomas Kincaid that day. I didn't realize gas has something much bigger. So so I'm upset. I told my marketing guy, I said, you know, change my flight, I'm flying back to Charlotte. He said, you can't leave. He said, what do you mean? He said, Manny, you, you have an engagement tomorrow morning. I said, I, I don't want to go. He said, Manny, you um, you know, if you ever get called out, you said, what is somebody going to say right behind you that you know you're hearing? And 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 Todd was the name of this guy too. And and Todd looked at me and he said, Manny, you are a man of your words. And every time you give your word, you always follow through on your words. And he called the carpet on me using my own, you know, like uh, integrity. So I said, okay, I'm gonna go. But I didn't realize this was supposed to be an event with none other than Dr. Maya Angelou. The gabaran Foundation out of Spain wow. was honoring Dr. Angelo for a lifetime achievement award. So, so so Gary, I, I walked into this room. I'm still, I'm still ticked off from yesterday, right? I'm still like, <laughs> what the heck? Why am I here? And, and as I walked in the room, me and Dr. Angelo, they were wheeling her in. Her and I just locked eyes. And she motioned to me to come over. And I'm looking behind and say, Are you talking to me? She said, No, no, you didn't come over. So I went over there and she said, you must be from Nigeria. I said, you must be a psychic. How do you know I'm from Nigeria? She said, because all you Nigerians have that million dollar smile. He said, I used to teach at Wake Forest University and every time I go to Wake Forest, I always fly to Nigeria. You guys always have this big smile. He said, what do you do son? And I said, I'm a professional foot washer. I go around the world and wash the feet of the poor and inspire them to dream big dreams. He said, man, that reminds me of Martin. I said, who is Martin? I didn't realize he was talking about the Martin Luther King Jr. He said, you know why Martin was different? He said he was courageous because he was willing to use his voice to be the voice. He didn't have voices. He said, man, whoever it is that you're called to serve, you go serve them. Go be their face. Go be their voice. I then realized that God put Dr. Angelo there that day to inflate my deflated balloon. And after I left that meeting, I was like, I could fly. I went back to my hotel in New York City, and I told Todd, I said, Todd, what is something courageous we could do? And we started coming up with crazy ideas, and that's when the idea came. What if we can get a Division I basketball coach to help us coach a game on national TV with no shoes? And we said, that was a genius idea. And we said, who's going to do it? We said, well, let's, let's call Mike Kucheski, he said, nah, he's going to hang up the phone. He's going to think you guys are crazy. He said, let's call Roy Williams. He said, nah, Roy ain't going to want to do it. So we enter all these crazy names. And in the middle of all this brainstorming session, he said, there's a coach in Indianapolis called Run Hunter. He's the head basketball coach of IUPUI. I said, come on, Todd. Man, we're thinking about a national campaign here. Who the heck knows IUPUI? He said, Manny, you don't understand. <laughs> IUPUI, it got 30,000 students. This guy's a dear friend of Tony Dungy, blah, 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 blah. He said, let's call him. I said, you want to call him now? I said, yeah, let's call him, Manny. He said, this is his number. We called. We thought we were calling this cell number. Guess what we're doing? We're calling this landline. Who we'll calls someone at a landline at 10 30 at night? He didn't want to pick up, he finally picked up the phone. He said, who's this? We said, well, this is Manny. He said, Manny, who? The Manny Holman, the founder of Samarin's Finn and my buddy Todd. He said, who's Todd? So he said, maybe I'm, I'm a friend of Tony Dungy. I helped you do all this stuff. So I said, well, cut to the chase. Why are you calling me at 1030 at night? He said, he said well, we, we just left this meeting this afternoon with Dr. Angie, And she told us to be courageous. And we want to ask you to help us coach a game on national TV with no shooting. And the phone went dead silent. Nine seconds felt like it was nine hours. He came back later on. He said, where are you guys? I said, we're in New York City. He said, are you drunk? I said, no, we're not drunk. He said, you want me to do what? You want me to coach a game with no shoes? He said, yes. said, you need to come to Indianapolis. I got to meet this man. Guy. So, so seven <laughs> days later, I flew down to Indianapolis. Right behind him was the biggest post of Dr. King I've ever seen. It was crazy. So I said, you know what next year is? He said, yeah, I, what is it? He said, I said, it's the 40th anniversary of Dr. King's death. He said, Would you just not only help me coach a gig with no shoes, but help me raise 40,000 shoes in honor of his 48th anniversary? He said, Manny, you are crazy. He said, I thought I'll invite you here. I like you, but you're pretty audacious. I said, I'll help you raise 500 to 2,000 shoes, but but for 40,000 shoes? And I said, Coach, with all due respect, for 2,000, you don't need God. But for 40,000 shoes, you're going to need a God bigger than you. He said, Manny, you are crazy. I said, All I'm asking you to say is yes. He said, okay, I'm going to do it, but I can't promise I can raise 40000 I said, let let that be God's job. Well, we picked the game. It was the 24th of January, 2008. Gary, by game time that day, we raised 110,000 shoes. And ABC News made him Person of the Week. By the end of that year, ABC News made him Person of the Year. Then NCAA contacted me because they wanted me to present an award to run Hunter at a Final Four in 2008 in San Antonio. Guess who was the host of the show? I'm getting somewhere with this story because I'm talking about the convoy. The host was Ernie Johnson on MB on TNT. He said, Manny, I was watching TV with this stuff happening and everybody calling and doing it in shoes. And he said, what can I do to help you? I said, you are Ernie Johnson. You can do whatever you want. Seven days later, Ernie Johnson called me. He said, the president of Turner wants me to have you on MB on TNT with me barefoot, Charles Barkley barefoot, Kenny Smith barefoot, and we want to surprise you. Flew down to Atlanta, I thought it would be two minutes, eight point something minutes on national TV to allowed me to share my story. And then after I finished step, sharing the story, I stepped down from the stage. One of Kenneth Smith's friends approached me. He said, are you are you for real? I said, yes, I am. He said, I can help get you 1 million pairs of shoes. I said, don't tease me. I said, do not tease me. He said, I'm serious. He said, give me two weeks and I'll call you back. Two weeks later, he called me. He said, one of the biggest retailers in America, Wants to donate it over 1 billion pairs of shoes to you. End up being 1.3 million pairs of shoes valued at over $34 million. It was crazy. We went on, later on, went on an NBA, uh, NBA on TNT announced that stuff. But but you remember when I talked about the convoy of trucks? That was that was over 400, those little truckloads that was delivered that we didn't realize was gonna be the convoy that guy was pre telling Tracy to that lady that became an instrument that allowed us to start our national effort, so we can start our back to school across the United States and all across the world. And that's where we started and that's what's got us to where we are. today.
0: How many were in that convoy? How many trucks? There was over 400 trucks. Wow. 400 <laughs> trucks with a million shoes. We went from,
1: we, we, we went from one, <laughs> one warehouse for sale to six warehouses overnight. <laughs> <laughs> So remember when I went to school for supply chain, I thought I was going to use that to go move food around the world to go feed the hungry. I didn't realize I was going to be moving shoes.
2: So, Manny, I want you to to try as much as you can right now to take a step back and and look at this journey that you're guiding all of these listeners on right now, and and just how surreal that is, right? To be the this nine year old that wins a pair of shoes by playing basketball for the first time ever. To now going on national television, and getting millions of shoes, you set this audacious goal of ten million. You're about to hit it this year. Talk to us a little bit about just how does that sink in as you go through your day to day life right now.
1: You know, you know, Bill. You know, it's it, it, it's you know, Ben. Sorry, it's 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 so crazy. Um, sometimes my wife and I we're talking. I, I'll say t- you got to pinch me. I mean, it's, it's just because it just doesn't sometimes feel so real. I mean, the way it became so real for me was a few years ago when I found myself at the United Nations. I mean, I was invited as a guest of the president of Burundi because of the work that we've done in their country, working with the Hutus and Tutsis to kill each other, using our reconciliation peace building tool with the shoe that I wash and wear as a vehicle to be able to unite a nation. And, and we we probably served over 300,000 people in that country. We we established about four or five computer lending centers. Uh, we established a, a mushroom farm as part of an economic development project. And and so so when they showed the video of of the first lady and the first lady uh, the president of Burundi and they were about to present them an award and all the t-shirts that were showing on the screen was Samaritan's feet. I turned to my bride. I said, Trace, you got to pinch me. I said, I literally said, you got to pinch me. I said, he said, why? He said. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm this kid that used to sell sufferings in Nigeria. Heck? I'm at the United Nations with five other president. And you know what she said to me that day? And I never forgot. She said, I think you forgot what kingdom you're from. He said, God had it in, in his mind to create you that your what you thought was your misery, that God was going to turn into a ministry. You didn't realize that you being." been. You know, a kid that was selling water, that you've got a pair of shoes as your gift, will become the vehicle that God's going to use to help you impact and change the world. And, and so when I think about that, and when I sit at home sometimes and I, I think about what we're about to do to go launch a manufacturing facility in Africa to to produce about a million pairs of shoes a year. It just it just seems so surreal that 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 that, that greatness is possible for all of us that if we choose to believe if we're willing to do what nobody else is willing to do to be able to accomplish what they've never accomplished. And I think that's part of the way my motto is. I truly believe that every time that I live my life, you know, I know my, my the purpose of my life is to, to understand what the essence of my existence is, is to help live this world better and to help inspire other people to go pursue their
0: life.
2: So, no, sorry, go Gary, you're good.
0: I'm just thinking, and it's to myself like all right remember how we opened this episode normally i i don't go on a little bit as much as as i did with this one on with manny <clears throat> because everybody that we've had on our show is truly anything but typical they're all amazing and quite frankly everybody listening to this is as well because your fingerprints prove it you are unique by design and that's that's a heartbeat of this whole episode. But Manny, <laughs> your story is like off the charts, man. I mean, like, wow. I mean, unbelievable. And all of those experiences, how they kind of have dovetailed and how they've built on one another. And um, it, it's just, it, it is truly amazing to hear your story. Uh, I, I, if anybody's listening to this and is not inspired back it up, listen again, and make sure you take some coffee or something and wake up because <laughs> you are sleeping.
2: <laughs> yeah, they must've had it on mute or something. That's, that's, not- <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> no, thank you. I mean, you know, but, but, but I think as we, as we look at where we are, as we sit and, and look at that 10 million milestone uh, on the horizon, as we, as we prepare ourselves to get there. And people say, you know, Manny, you can't tell me it's always been this easy, right? And I tell trust me, it wasn't always easy. Um, you know, I still remember the day, you know, when I was gonna go for a meeting and 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 I had one of the worst accidents of my life and within 24 hours that we lost both our vehicles, right? And 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 where where we thought this money that was gonna last us for two years that we ran through within about six months because I didn't have this fancy insurance plan anymore, my 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 daughter had an appendix rupture and I had to rush her to the ER and, and I had to write a check. And my my daughter's out playing in, in the front yard, fell, broke her elbow. I got to write a check. And, and, and we lost two vehicles within 24 hours and, and, and a whole bunch of stuff. And, 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 and all this stuff was happening. And, and I kept telling my wife at that time that God kept giving me real life preaching material. I still remember Tracy looked at me, stone cold one and said, you better stop making up this story. I don't want to live them anymore because this is too real. And, uh, but what the, straw that broke the camel's back for me was so crazy. I still remember uh, my wife went to one of the local grocery stores in Charlotte and, 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 and the total bills, the total bill was about $12 and, 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 and 20 some, uh, 40 something cents. I can't remember now. And, uh, and all she could come up with, uh, was about, about $12 and something cents. And, and she couldn't come, she was, I mean, she was $2 short and she called me on the phone. And I still remember she said, what are you doing to me? And I, and I felt like I was a little colonel. Now, here's a guy that used to be like a you know a, a high-income earner and a technology space. Uh, now I've given my yes, I've given my all to the Lord, running this organization. And and, and before all this success began, I had to go through that because you know I was so tied to the fact that in case God didn't show up, I had a backup plan. And, uh-huh. and, and God didn't, God didn't, God don't need no backup plan. And 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 and, and he had to take me through a process right, to empty me of me, And and it was so crazy. I still remember when my wife called me that day, I felt so embarrassed. I felt like, man, what have I done? And I still remember I couldn't go home that day. I was driving around the city of Charlotte and and I was so upset and mad at myself. If I'll be honest with you, Gary and Ben, I was mad at God. And, And I would say, what are you doing to me? And I still remember there was a gentleman actually out of Dallas, Texas called Tony Evans. He was actually on the radio that day. And I don't remember anything that Tony Evans said back then, but this is what I remember. And, and he said, sometimes God will allow your life to hit rock bottom, but remember who is the rock at the bottom and his name is Jesus. And after he said that, I just broke down and it's just started weeping. And, and 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 I remember that passage of scripture that said a broken and contrite spirit that he would not despise. At that time in my life, I realized I was, I was worshiping my bank account. I got how to deplete that so I can be dependent on him. And he had to take me to a, the most lowest place of humility that all I can look is look up and look up to my creator. And, and after I did that, that's when things started changing in the atmosphere for me. And out of the blue, I got a call from Wisconsin, and this guy wanted to bring me on as a consultant. It's just I mean, one thing led to the other. Before I knew it, you know, like uh, Samaritan was just on this hyper- you know, like a trajectory that I couldn't even explain all that's happened ever since then to till today that we that we just closed a significant, uh, 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 you know, eight figure, you know, like, a, you know, gift to go start, you know, like, a, you know, a manufacturing facility in Ghana that that we hope we hire about 100 people this year that will grow to about 300 people over the next three years that will help accelerate the process of creating that economic development project to help us manufacture our world shoe as a vehicle to be able to Teach people how to become fishermen versus just giving them fishes. How do we create a process that we can, you know, really disrupt poverty at its core? Because one of the first signs that you see for people that go to developing countries, or even many of the communities that we go across the United States, when you see children with no shoes, there's a direct correlation to poverty. And when you see poverty, like it always comes with body hygiene. And when we have bad hygiene, it's it, it, it's a magnet for diseases that comes in. And when you have the disease that flowing in, guess what happened? You can't work. And when you can't work, you can't produce income. So this weird cycle begins, right? And before you know, you're stuck in this stairs wheel. And before you know it, you know you don't you don't know what to do. And, and whoever thought in that wildest dream that a pair of shoes would become a disruptor for many people around the world like, that kids can go to school, that farmers can go to work and, and people can go do the things that they're called to do by providing pairs of shoes. So now we, we're hoping to be able to set up a manufacturing facility where we can actually start making this shoe, exporting these shoes, creating uh, a sustainable platform that allow us to generate profit so we can do more good in the world. So I'm excited about where that is and, and where that's going to go and what that's going to mean, not just in Africa, but one day in other parts of Africa and other parts of Latin America and other parts of the world.
0: Yeah, I think it's really cool. So I know a little bit about World Shoe since we've been talking and we've been working with trying to help you <clears throat> get some of that stuff set up. And the fact that it's a, an antimicrobial shoe, you have gone through a couple iterations already. So this is uh, being a proven, oh, there you go, man, that does look good. Uh, <laughs> those look good. And you're you're producing them for supply chain efficiencies too, you don't have to be shipping them from China or wherever, but you're producing them in the same continent where a lot of them are going to go. And here's, here's the other thing that we learned about this. The, the manufacturing facility and the engineer behind this is kind of like you, like really off the charts smart. Wasn't this guy an MIT guy or something? MIT. And like, it's it's a, it's going to be a world class facility. This is not mud hut, you know. Uh, you know, manufacturing. This is like world class. So, being able to impact the ecosystem in country, providing jobs, meaningful jobs, pro- providing a solution to a, a real problem that also can help stop that cycle of poverty. It's just like the ripple effect is just massive. Um, the one other thing that I want, I have to interject here as I was listening to what you said about what, you know, Tracy, any any entrepreneur out there, and, and this has certainly happened with me. We have these dreams. We We know it's like, oh, it's so clear. They are, I mean, Tracy was pushing you. <laughs> and yet when the heat gets going, Moses, what are you doing taking us out here into the wilderness? We're all going to die, you know? And yet they were all singing and dancing and playing the tambourines, you know, after they made it through the Red Sea, but, uh, you know, across the, the Jordan, not Red Sea, but they crossed the Jordan. Well, it, you know, the, or no, it was the Red Sea. Red it sea. Was yeah. the Red. Uh, they crossed the Jordan later on. But the, the point is this, if you are an entrepreneur and whether you're a male or female, Your spouse doesn't have the wheel. They're they're cheering you on, but then all of a sudden you're going down Pikes Peak and the brakes go out. They're holding on for dear life, screaming. You can't do anything but steer as the entrepreneur. And you're just doing, you got a death grip on the wheel and you're doing the best that you can. You're terrified, but they're exponentially terrified. It, it's a, it's part of the human condition, man. I mean, in these hard times, of it, man, Manny, I'm so touched by your story because, yeah, we hear a lot of like, wow, the move, the move, the move, the amazing miracles, this and that. But the reality of going through the checkout store or at, at the grocery store and the checkout and you don't have the funds necessary for basic items is crushing. And it's it's deeply it 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 tries your soul as to are we really doing this? You know, and I think every entrepreneur faces that at some point in their career, in their journey, when their plans were great. And then all of a sudden it gets tested. What would you say, Manny, when you are in those deep times of testing and you you alluded to it, but just for anybody listening that's going through it right now, you had this great vision, you had momentum, and then all of a sudden it seems like everything's crashing. What would you say?
1: You know, to to keep your eye on the prize. Um, you know, I think I think it was you know Simon Sinek that that just that blew up the internet a while ago when she talked about everybody needs to understand their why. Um, I wrote a book, actually, uh, that sits right behind me titled Soul Purpose. I, I truly believe that once everybody in life understands what the true essence of their purpose is, right? The essence for the existence, the ethos for why they exist, the compelling reason why they're here, right? You know, when the test comes, and I promise you it's going to come, it's going to come. But if you can keep your eye focused and fixed it on that reason, that essence for why you call, and you don't give up your faithfulness will truly become the true trophy that allows you to accomplish your dream. Because, because many people started this journey 20 years ago with me. I, I can, I, I still remember me and this, this group of mastermind teams, of people that we used to get together and many of them shut down. Many of them are, and now to think about 10 million shoes. And, and if you were to just value each pair of shoes at $20, it's part of that transaction. Actually you can look at what that impact is. Think about what that means in a hundred and, 109 countries and with affiliates in about 10 countries around the world. See, see it wasn't it wasn't easy. It, it would have been easy for me at one point when I realized I couldn't I couldn't provide at the level that I thought was possible. I still remember us going to the dollar movie in, in Matthews. I still remember us having to, I mean, I still remember having to, you know, like be very creative. I would eat our meals because I had a partner that truly, truly believed. That, that, that when you call make sure make sure you have that introspective inspection to to know that you this there's a reason why there's a that there's a there's not a true selfish motivation behind your why make sure it's pure and make sure you're united uh because because when you test it and try if you guys are not united uh, that will leave a crack and will create opportunity for destruction that can really lead to some very devastating things in life I want to encourage you guys don't give up keep going keep pursuing it work harder than anybody be innovative think about you know what 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 others are not doing that, that you should be doing to help you know in the front and always be curious that's always been one of my the ethos and essence of who I, I'm always curious I'm always asking why not you know why not you know like everybody always asks why and I always say why not you know so that's that's kind of who I am and that's what's helped me but more importantly, having God as the epicenter of what I do is becoming' is become the campus that's guided me along like that.
2: That's that's a perfect way for perfect note for us to end on. So Manny before we sign off though I want all the listeners to be able to to follow you to check out Samaritan's Feed, all of that So where would you like to send people?
1: I mean they can they, they can find me at, at samaritansfeed.org. they can find me at mannyohomey.com. Um, on any of the social platforms, from LinkedIn to Facebook to Instagram, Twitter, uh, please check us out. And, uh, and 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 just always remember, I always tell people, service to others emancipates humanity from the dungeon of themselves. Serve people, remember who your neighbor is, and make a difference
2: and make your
0: life count.
2: Thank you so much, Manny. This has been amazing. Thank you.
0: For anybody listening, also, uh, this is so funny. Manny's last name is spelled O H O N as in Nancy M as in Mary E and, and as he says, uh, you know, uh, there's kind of a bonus letter in there with the N. Uh, the N is silent,
2: <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's where the uh, the show notes come into handy, right? They don't click on the link and don't have to worry. That's about right. That's, right. That's, that's
1: awesome. Well, thank you so much, Guy. Have a blessed day.
2: Thank you too.